kids first coming attractions. Before you go out and spend money on that new movie or digital media, make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll take you behind the scenes, interview celebrities, and review new movies, TV shows, and digital releases. Now, here are your hosts from Kids First Coming Attractions. Welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Natalie Jackson from Kids First. Today, we'll be listening to Ishan as he speaks to Jennifer Lane from Queer Eye and a Variety Award winner, as well as Ethan as he reviews Cowboys, a documentary portrait, Heather as she reviews Come Away, and Kalista as she speaks to Alexa and Stephen Kingopolas on Fishbowl and Lynn Roth on Shepherd, the story of a Jewish dog. First, Ishan as he speaks with Jennifer Lane on Queer Eye. Hi there, I'm Ishan Mani reporting for Kids First. And today, I am super excited to speak with Jennifer Lane, a veteran of the C-Suite. Featured in Variety's LA Women's Impact Report 2020, Jennifer Lane is best known as Queer Eye's Mama Bear, showrunner, and EP. She's also directed Raising an Olympian, Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, and she's EP'd Sweet Home Oklahoma. Thank you so much, Miss Lane, for taking the time to speak with me today. As a fellow Texan, I love seeing that your degrees are from UT and, of course, a master's from AFI. It's true. I'm a Texan through and through. I'm just curious. You really did your homework, Ishan, because how did you know I was nicknamed Mama Bear? (laughs) That's an industry secret. (laughs) I'm very impressed. Thank you. I saw it in the uh, Variety Report. That was uh, your your reference. I saw that. Oh, I didn't Uh, know that. uh, So... Should we get into it? Let's do it. All right. So you've worn many hats over the course of your career as executive producer, director, consulting producer, producer, director of photography, and a camera person. So which of these is the most challenging? You may know this already, but it's definitely being the EP showrunner, without a doubt. Like I long for those days when you were really a part of a crew and you could go hang out and have dinner afterwards. That's not the world of the EP. The EP is, is hustling right back home to get on the computer for another five hours. So I think, um, without a doubt, e- being an EP is the most challenging, but not just because of the workload, but also because it's our responsibility to make sure that the crew is, is safe and that everyone's having a positive work experience. And, and also that you're, you're, you're producing the, the show creatively and that it's on budget. So because of those stressors, it's definitely, Absolutely. It's definitely the di- most difficult. And do you enjoy any of these roles more than the others? Do you mean like between being a camera? All being of them, a yeah, between camera person, producer, director, all of them. I'm sure that's changed over my lifetime, but I, I would say directing. Directing is fun because um, you don't have as many emails as you do when you're a producer, but you're still just right in there in the creative process, creating something for everyone else to see. That's magic. Absolutely. Yeah. And you have put out several magical projects. Oh, thank you. So when did you know that you wanted to work in entertainment? I distinctly recall being at the zoo when I was probably in second grade and my dad made me hold his big camera and I picked it up and I asked if I could take a picture and I snapped this like perfect picture of this hippopotamus. And of course then the film had to come back from the lab. So it was like two weeks later, the pictures came in 
And my parents were like, oh, my gosh, this picture is the most beautiful picture we've ever seen. You're a photographer. And so my interest in entertainment started with photography. And I really was into that in high school and like yearbook photography. And so my interest started in the visual arts. Yeah. That's wonderful. In terms of your pathway to the C-suite, what influenced you most? Was it your education or your working relationships? My education. I, I, you know, I think I hesitated only because it seems almost cooler to be like working in the business instead. But the truth is, is that, you know, I got out of college at, at the University of Texas and I went into working at the public television station and I was there for seven years and kind of feeling like I was hitting a little bit of a glass ceiling. Like, where else do you go? And I, and I knew the way that I could leave was to be going for my master's degree, you know, instead of like just driving to LA on a dream. I, I kind of used my master's degree as a buffer. So at least while I was trying to figure myself out, I was doing something practical with my time. So Absolutely. yeah, so I went to AFI and kind of late for, you know, I was one of the older folks in my class at, at 29. Well, you made it. Obviously, that was a good yeah, choice. So don't ever let somebody tell you you can't change your life at, at 30. That's <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you are listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today, we're listening to Ishan as he speaks with Jennifer Lane on Queer Eye, Ethan as he reviews Cowboy in Documentary's Portrait, Heather as she reviews Come Away, and Kalista as she seeks with Alexa Stephen and Lynn Roth on Fishbowl and Shepherd the Story of a Jewish Dog. Right now, we're continuing listening to Ishan as he speaks to Jennifer Lane on Queer Eye, which is a Variety Award winner. So, um, you've spent a lot of time as a director, as you've mentioned, uh, bringing you unique and creative perspectives you know, to all the shows that you work on. So what do you believe is the most unique part about your own artistic perspective? I think I'm unique in my field as a showrunner because I was a camera woman. I was a DP and I was a director and I edit and I love writing and I love thinking about ideas. So I kind of like, I think as a showrunner, my uniqueness comes from my um, experiences in all realms that you have to look over. And so I think very key to me too is that I, I was I started at PBS, so I was really educated in the the art of verite documentary filmmaking, which was very much supposedly removed from the subject you're you're meant to observe rather than infiltrate, which is very much reality TV sparkle. And so I think I'm unique because I bring some of those documentary chops to my reality producing. I like to let things breathe. I don't want to tell everybody too much. Keep it, keep, play your cards to your chest and, and let magic happen by letting it breathe. It's almost like kinetic energy. You know, when you try to hold something too tight, it's just going to die versus having this really allowing as much space as I can, no matter what I'm doing, so that others can play and not feel that tension. I think it creates really great TV. That's amazing. And I love that description as well. Like kinetic energy. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> let it flow. Otherwise, what are you, you're just squishing everybody. I, I want to hear everybody's good ideas. I think great directing is directing good ideas. Deciding Absolutely. which ones to implement and which ones not to. That's your job. But certainly yes. not to think you're the only one that has them. That's, that's, that's for starters. That's definitely a very valuable part of just filmmaking in general. 
So what's the most gratifying part of your work? And how do you describe the feeling when you see your creative vision finally playing out in front of you? The most gratifying part of the job is to know that it, that our show has mattered to somebody. And that includes any show. We put so many hours and effort into every last frame. And I think just knowing that people have been moved, people have been brought together because of something I've, I've spent a lot of time and energy on really, really is the most gratifying part of the experience. Amazing. And you've accomplished many incredible things and are still accomplishing more every day. So what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be remembered for? Well, I, I, I want to be remembered for making a difference um, when it comes to LGBTQ issues on um, television, right? So many activists do so much more in their lines of work. But in television, I want to be known as a producer that, you know, I was going to say change the world. And I was just like, Oh my God, no. But the truth is, is like, what more could you ask for than to actually have made a difference in the way people see LGBTQ people? That matters. That's cool. Yes, totally. And, um, you know, Queer Eye is a groundbreaking uh, show on Netflix. So what led you to direct and then EP the show? I, I, I EP'd a, I was hired to be the showrunner of the reboot and then I directed the first two seasons because of my directing background. It made a lot of sense that we do it that way the first couple seasons. So I was um, hired first as the EP and then became the director of seasons one and two. And what really drew you to this project? I bet you could guess, but it definitely is the LGBTQ hitting putting queer back on the map matters to me. Um, it's funny just how much our culture has changed in the 15 years since the show was first on TV. So what an honor to be able to be a part of this reboot. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Let's take a break. I'm Natalie Jackson from Kids First, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Mike Drop. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First film critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. 
For teens, by teens, and about teens. Tune into the uncensored and unedited discussions with young adults on Express Yourself. Every Sunday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Smart, tenacious teen hosts and reporters from around the country speak up and speak out. Express Yourself. Visit the website for the show to find out more at ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. And check out the show on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Sunday. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh. Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Natalie Jackson from Kids First, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been listening to Ishan as he spoke to Jennifer Lane from Queer Eye and Variety Award winner. Next up, we'll be listening to Ethan as he reviews Cowboys, a documentary portrait. First and foremost, I am familiar with this film just a bit. I understand that this film tells the story of the modern working ranch boy, Cowboy Amid, the backdrop of the American West. However, can you explain more in depth, Ethan, about the concept of this film from your perspective? I really liked it. It's about how it's kind of showing how cowboys live and how it's different from our modern world and how people need to understand cowboys aren't just wearing hats. It's about they're passionate. They have passion for animals. It's not just gunslinging and wearing hats and belt buckles. This sounds awesome. I have to share my honest opinion. You would think cowboys rarely exist anymore, or if they even do. And you kind of explain my imagination. You know, the weapons getting pulled out and the buckles and the big cats. However, I could say I would love to see how they're dealing with 2020. To continue, how is the story told? And I ask that, I'm thinking, does this film include linear or flashbacks or episodically? And what in the plot attracted you to continue watching this one hour and 40 minutes? So it's kind of like, um, it's almost like a documentary. I think it is. And what makes you want to watch it is how it keeps going. It would show, like, one thing, and then once that's over, it would show the next. Like, how it showed a horse who got bit by a snake, and the, the next day they were like, I'll get the snake by tomorrow. And then you see a picture of, like, him holding the snake. And then it goes to them, like, stamping bowls with, like, the hot metal rods. And then it would show how a kid got a pocket knife when he was four or, I think, six. So it's a bunch of, like, ideas in one that make the documentary so interesting. (laughs) You know, that's actually very funny. It's cool that they get to share those past or recent experiences with us. And, of course, as viewers, our TAM span can be very short. So it's cool that we get to look out for the things that stand out. Along with that, did you come to respect any of the characters in this movie? In other words, who did you find most engaging in this film? Um, I really personally thought that I think all of them were almost kind of like the same. They were all cowboys. They all thought of each other as family. They all acted like family. It was like one big family. I just really liked the part where the kid had the pocket knife and he's only four. I actually interviewed um, two of the directors and I was making a joke with them how the kid had a pocket knife, but my mom can't even trust me with a plastic knife. I think we all can relate to that, actually. And one cool thing about each of these characters, actually, is they all share a similar backstory. 
they all became modern-day cowboys, which is something not every person and every boy could say they hold the title of. Moving forward, often the central problem in the story transcends the characters and reflects them. In the story, is there a problem that transcends characters, and were you able to predict it early on? Um, it wasn't really about characters. It was more about the cows, because in this documentary, they're talking about how they really care for their animals. They were saying, if you don't like horses, then why are you trying to be a cowboy? Because cowboys are all about animals. It's not really about, like, like I was saying before, wearing a hat and a buckle. It's more of being with the cows or animals that you love. They were protecting a cow. He, um, or no, sorry, she, she was giving birth, but the baby wasn't coming out. So they had to take it out. And it was a huge problem because they were worrying of it, like of dying. So it was like a main problem kind of. And then they would have other problems that would come all into this amazing documentary. It's good to know that there are moments where the viewers can react to. However, attention is what builds emotion and brings the best moments in, in any film. Also, what, can you describe one thing that you learned about the culture of the country in which the film was set? Um, I really learned from, like, the wife of these kids that it's really hard to be a cowboy because you're making really big sacrifices. He was talking about how you're isolated nine hours away from the nearest thing. And the lady, she was talking about how if you drop a bag of sugar, you're going to have to drive another nine hours to get one. If your kid gets sick, well, that's it because you have to drive nine hours. They were also talking about how two kids have died because there's no hospitals nearby. They're just isolated in deserts. So it's like a really big sacrifice that they have to take to be cowboys and to defend their area like cows and stuff. Wow. And lastly, can you share your age recommendation and your reasoning behind your rating for this film? So I would give it five out of five stars because it really teaches kids it's harder to be a cowboy because you have to make sacrifices. So it's kind of like a choice in life. And I'd recommend it ages 8 to 18. Thank you so much for speaking with me, Ethan. You are listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today, we're listening to Ishan as he speaks with Jennifer Lane from Queer Eye. We just spoke to Ethan as he reviewed Cowboys, a documentary portrait. We are going to be listening to Callista on Alexa and Stefan King and Paulos and as well as Callista on Lynn Roth from Shepherd, the Story of a Jewish Dog. Right now, we are switching over to Heather as she reviews Come Away. Heather, first and foremost, I can't say that I'm not familiar with this film. I understand that tragedy hits a young brother and sister, Peter and Alice, as they seek to save their parents from despair until they're forced to choose between home and imagination. However, can you explain more in depth about the concept of this film from your perspective? So this film is about Peter and Alice and then their family, the Littleton family. But Peter and Alice are actually Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland. So Come Away is sort of this origin story. And then we see at the end of the film, Peter go off to Neverland and Alice fall down through the rabbit hole. So this whole film really just creates the path of where these two characters sort of grow up and then sort of, we see the like the original cartoon movies are sort of considered the sequel. And this is the prequel, I guess you could say. Wow. This film seems like a very adventurous, wild and absorbing film. This is truly a story about courage, wonder and never growing old. To continue, although the story unfolds in unexpected and complex ways, as you just shared, because you as the viewers have been plunged into the children's world from the start of the film, 
Would you say it was easy to be swept along for the ride? Could you follow alongside all that was going on? Of course. I mean, it was so great because I, I love those movies. I know them inside and out. So seeing all these references from start to finish, and I was actually talking to Brenda, the director, and she was telling me how she worked with the writers to make sure that all these references fit perfectly, and they did. I mean, every reference, every costume every phrase was there for a reason and then you're just sitting there and you're watching and you're like oh this is from when he said this in the cartoon oh look it's the lost boys look it's alice in her blue dress and it's from start to finish it has you and then by the end of the film you want more you really need more because it's such a mature telling of these stories that we all know and it's what happened before neverland and wonderland you know that's great to hear, especially for young viewers. They can follow along the adventure like they're in the film. Along with that, the opening moments of Come Away are as imaginative and vivid as hoped for. Then tragedy strikes and suddenly the family's fleeing from reality and hiding in fantasy worlds of their own makings. Many have agreed that the material is too dark and grim for children to grapple with. In your opinion, Heather, do you feel as if the darkness that the family overcomes may be too raw for the young audience? I mean, I I really do recommend this film to children my age, young young teens, 13, 14 years old, because it is, it is a lot darker, but I don't say it's too much, but I think even the references themselves, you have to be like of a certain age to fully understand them, the concept of it, the gravity of the tragedy that it has on the children. And there there are some warnings for this film as well. There's There's a scene where Alice... She ends up drinking like a bottle of alcohol from her mom. And I guess it's really the way that you interpret it, whether it's like this imagination gone wild, gone to another level or as a child drinking. So there are some moments there that I, I do recommend for teens of an older age, not necessarily kids of like eight or nine years old. But yeah, definitely older children This is what I would say. It's understandable as to why some might find the tragedy darkening for children. However, this film has, of course, it is compared to Peter Pan because of the imagination from Peter and Alice in the film. Perhaps it all depends on your personal reaction to the contrast scenes. Along with that, how would you describe the main characters and what are their goals? Peter's goal is to, well, during the film, Peter Peter's goals switch a, a, a lot, really. Um, we start off with him wanting to be the man of the family, him wanting to support his family. And then throughout the middle, there's this event that causes his switch in his goals where he actually just wants to avenge and get revenge on who ends up being Captain Hook. And that's when we lead into Neverland. And Alice, she's sort of struck between wanting to stay young and then her aunt forcing her to become this lady. So she's really trying to figure out her own goal of, do I want to stay young? Do I want to live my life? Or do I want to be this lady that will be accepted into society and not be this slow birth? So I'd say that their goals switch throughout the film. How cool is that? It's always fun to see how um, characters are evolving in the film. Speaking of evolving, what do the main characters learn about themselves and how do they change? Peter learned that he's that he can be who he wants to be. I mean, I think he sort of thinks that he has to be this man who needs to protect the family and take care of everyone. And then he sort of sees how he can always stay young. 
and he wants to stay young and we see how he never wants to grow up. And Alice, she she learns that she can be a powerful woman. She can, but she can be, she can grow up and she can be this lady, but that she can be a child at heart and that she never really has to grow up either. It's always fun to see how characters develop within a film, especially since Peter and Alice are still young and are experiencing such tragedy. Us viewers can see how they learn the responsibility of taking on a huge journey. Lastly, what would be your overall rating and reasoning behind the rating, as well as age recommendation? I definitely have to give it five out of five stars. I was enwrapped from the beginning. It was such a great film. It was so brilliant in its references and its nods to the cartoons. Like I said, I need a sequel. Um, For age rating, I'd give it 13 to 18 exactly for the reason of Alice being a minor and drinking. And, and there's a lot of scenes that's your interpretation. It, it can be practical or it can be your imagination or the way that you interpret it. So that's, that's the way that I see it. Also the language, it's not adult, but it's, it's mature. It's definitely mature. And there are mature topics in it as well. Well, thank you so much for sharing with that with us. Let's take a break. I'm Natalie Jackson from Kids First, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Mic Drop. Thank you once again for speaking with us, Heather. Thank you. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First film critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. On the Right Road with host Paula Phillips has arrived at Voice America. With remarkable heart and realness, this popular program brings inspiration, ideas, opportunities, and help to teachers and parents around the globe who work daily to guide kids on the right road in school and in life. Join the Right Road family of kindness, uplifting, and support. Tune in to On the Right Road, live every first and third Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Welcome back. I'm your host, Natalie Jackson from Kids First, and you are listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking with Heather as she reviews Come Away. Next up, we'll be listening to Kalista 
as she speaks to Alexa and Stephen Kingopolis on Fishbowl. Hey there, my name is Calista Best, reporting for Kids First, age 17, and today I'm here to talk with Alexa and Stephen Kinnagopoulos, who are the directors of the movie Fishbowl. How are you two doing? Good, how are you? I am good as well. Oh, sorry, I cut you off. No, you're fine. We're very happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Of course. So, to start off, uh, this is, I believe this is the first feature film that you two have worked on because you guys have mostly worked on shorts before. Um, so what are some noticeable differences between working on a feature film versus working on a short? Steve, you start. There's more days to enjoy it. <laughs> and there's a little bit more pressure. Um, and you really have to look at the big picture. And I think with shorts, it, like you can, you know, it, the world isn't as grand, I feel like. Um, but as far as that, it's like, I just feel like you have to be more organized and have a better recall. And with preparation, it's a little different. Lex? Um, there are a lot of differences. Um, budgetary, more days, um, uh, probably a larger cast and crew usually. Uh, longer script. There are a lot of things that are different. One of the struggles I think about shorts is that you have to get your point across or your message or your conflict in pretty fast. So sometimes that can be, I think, more of a struggle in a short than a feature film, but there are far more things in a feature film that you have to think about, prep for, do in post. So it's definitely a bigger task to take on, but both of them have their um, kind of tough sides to them too. But both very rewarding. I would say a feature film is slightly more rewarding than a short film. Yeah, I get that. Um, I, I have had to do short films for my film class at school, and it can be very difficult to get into, into the right time limit because of the restrictions placed on it. I think it is interesting, like, sort of seeing, like, when with a feature film, when you have all of this freedom now to make a bigger story and you know I feel like that's kind of interesting to analyze how it differentiates and um hmm? oh I'm sorry oh I just said absolutely and uh you like I said earlier you guys were both the directors of this film and I feel like it's it's pretty uncommon for a film to have uh you know two directors working together it's happened before but it's not exactly like the norm so was it easier to have uh, like a second director or like, what was it like? Yeah, uh, two heads are better than one. And especially if it's my sisters, um, we are best friends. So it makes it fairly easy. And we do like a majority of the same things. And we do have this weird people on set will say, after a take, we'll look at each other and we know what the other is thinking to make tweaks for the next take. And it's just a nod between us and I'll go or Alexa will go fix that while the other one fixes something else, maybe with camera instead of actors. So I think it's just great to have somebody to lean on, whether it's life, film, sports, whatever it is. It's just like, it's always good to have that like partner, I feel like, and we just get along really well. We do. We do. It's, it's nice because we kind of tackle different fields. Of course we, 
oversee everything together, but Steven is also the writer and the editor. So he'll really go in there um, and talk over intention and composition with camera, as well as the intentions with the actors and what's going on in that scene. And then maybe I'll kind of hang back at monitor and oversee, you know, the overall shot and like the costume design and the art department and how things are visually looking. And then we come together for um, everything. But it's kind of nice because we can kind of dabble in um, different departments and um, bounce ideas off one another. So we like it. And the thing I will say if you're working with family if, or anyone is if there's ever a disagreement, just be professional. And that was very rare for us. But if it, it happened maybe twice and you just want to make sure you have that conversation away from others. You're not in front. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very sweet. And I think um, as someone who has collaborated with a lot of people when I write my own stuff, I think um, there is a, there's a lot more benefits to working with another person and having someone to bounce your ideas off of. So that, that was something that was interesting to me. You are listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today, we listened to Ishan as he spoke with Jennifer Lane on Queer Eye, Ethan as he reviewed Cowboys, a documentary portrait, Heather, as she spoke on, come away. And right now, we're continuing listening to Kalista on Alexa and Stephen Kingopolis about Fishbowl. Another question that I have is, where did your love of film originate? Because you guys are both, like, you you mentioned earlier that you guys share a lot of the same interests, so. Uh, actually, it was, we grew up, our mom does hair and makeup for movies and stuff like that. So like take your kid to work day, our mother would bring us on set, which is really cool. I personally was more into the sports thing. I thought it was cool. I wasn't into the arts until way later and lucked out and ended up loving it. And I realized that I just needed a fresh start because realized I wasn't going to be a professional athlete. And that's like, what do you do? My cousin Alexa was going to film school. And so I was like, yeah, I'll just go to film school. But it was, I knew I loved it because it was the first time ever in my life that I was a good student and I wanted to be a good student. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, I think I, at a younger age, I always loved art um, and performing. And so then just uh, decided to go to film school. I saw the movie On the Waterfront, I think maybe when I was 14 with uh, Marlon Brando, directed by Elia Kazan. And I was just blown away. And we had grown up around film um, since we were babies. So uh, I always thought it was fun, but never really imagined what I would do in that field. And then uh, seeing that movie, I was just really inspired. And I thought either I'll be a director or a producer or a DP. And so, and here we are years later. So really, I think movies were probably the number one inspiration for me. That's nice to hear. Um, and, you know, I think this film is a very interesting film, and I explicitly mentioned that uh, I liked the way it handled the topic of religion and sort of, like, how that affects people's psychology. So could you guys maybe go into detail about how you came, uh, how you decided to approach religion in this film? Because that was really interesting to me. Yeah, um, Stephen and I grew up with um, our parents being different religions. Our mother's Jewish and our dad is Greek Orthodox, which is, you know, an intense form of Christianity. And I think growing up, 
although we never quite felt pressured by them to have a certain denomination, it, there was pressure within our peers and pressure we put on ourselves, maybe in one another. So I think um, we were good kids, but we definitely had a lot of questions. And I felt like maybe in the church, it was intimidating to ask why you just were kind of told to do certain things. So I think as an adult, and especially like reaching your 30s, and I'm sure you'll find it's interesting to grow up and you just get a lot more questions as you grow older. So we thought it was kind of important to question uh, our beliefs and what we're told and um, just how kind of a, a family unit um, can be taught like to not ask questions and to just do as they're told, just kind of the cyclical nature of families keeping secrets, not talking about things and just how teenagers naturally challenge. So I think that's kind of what we loosely based it off of. Right, Steve? Yeah, and I mean, there's definitely some exaggeration, some scenes, but other ones it is like, I feel like on the regular, for example, when Belle is, you know, praying finally breaks down and prays and she's like, give me a sign. And all of a sudden the lights flicker and you're like, is that the sign? But then it's the janitor, but is that a coincidence? Do you believe in coincidences? So there's, there's different layers of it. And we're not, even when they're Rachel and her are talking on the porch, like, where do you think she is? And do you believe in heaven? I think there are different levels that we try to level the playing field in that regard when talking about it. Because spirituality is important to us, and we don't look at this as like a, a film where we're bashing. You know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. I feel like it's easy to see what you want to see sometimes. And like, also, it's important that, like, you know, face a big deal. So we kind of just want to play with that. And um, this is kind of a question that was more so to. Uh, satisfy my own curiosity because I was wondering this for a while because in the film I noticed several references to the Y2K phenomenon and Mm -hmm. I was wondering if that specifically like played a a part in the inspiration for this film because I was thinking about that a lot after watching the film. Yeah definitely. We kind of grew up in that where it was like Y2K and then I think the Mayan calendar also was in closing. It was like a whole thing. And I think they were worried about the computer shutting down. I remember dad getting extra batteries and like all this, like people even that weren't like out and about like believing in it or saying it. Like, I think some people stock some extra stuff anyway, because so many people were talking about, but we did kind of, yeah, we It was definitely a concern. I remember being a little bit nervous, so we've just always found it kind of fascinating. People that are like dooms, doomsday, um, end of the world preppers. It's kind of just fascinating. So, yeah, um, I, I get, I get yeah. that fascination. What were you going to the ball dropping, and people were yeah. like, "Wait, when it was about to hit?" And we're like, "Is this it? Is the computer's going to go blackout?" You know, it was mm-hmm. a thing. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for this interview. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes. Of course. And uh, that'll be all all for this Kids First interview. If you like it, make sure to check out the Kids First website and, of course, all the other Kids First reporters. And I will be seeing you all later. Bye-bye. Let's take a break. I'm Natalie Jackson from Kids First, and you are listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. 
Today's show is sponsored by Mic Drop. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First Film Critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Join the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Sunday afternoon for the Empowered Kids series. It's two hours of programming geared toward our younger listeners and our young at heart listeners. We kick things off with Express Yourself Teen Radio at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. Then keep up with your favorite movies on Kids First Coming Attractions at 4 Pacific, 7 Eastern. The Empowered Kids series every Sunday on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Natalie Jackson from Kids First, and you were listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking with Callista as she speaks with Alexa and Stephen Kingopolis on Fishbowl. Next up, we'll be listening to, once again, Callista as she speaks to Lynn Roth about Shepherd, the story of a Jewish dog. Kids First, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with August Maturo, the actor for Joshua in the new movie, Shepherd, the Story of a Jewish Dog, and also Lynn Roth, who is the director, writer, and co-producer of the same film. And uh, how are you two doing today? I'm doing great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pretty good. Pretty good. Well, that's great to hear. And so to start off, uh, Lynn, you have, you, you have like the triple thread on this movie, screenwriter, director, and also producer. Um, out of these jobs, which would you say was like your favorite and which one was the hardest? Well, I think all three of them were hard. Producing is really hard um, because you have to uh, find out where you're filming. You have to raise the money. You have to do all that kind of stuff. Um, writing is hard uh, because it's like quarantine. You know, you have to quarantine yourself. You have to lock yourself in a room and write a screenplay by yourself if you're writing a dramatic screenplay. And directing is you have to be alert and, and, and organizing everything before the shoot, on the set, afterwards with the editing and everything. But my favorite is directing. Of the three, my favorite is definitely directing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there because um, I'm actually in a film class and so I had to write a film and and like make it in quarantine. That was not easy. Um, but I mean, hey, it was a nice look into what it's like since that's something I do plan to go into. Good. And what was, what was your favorite part? Um, probably uh, actually like shooting the film because it like a lot of stuff kind of just came up like on the spot like we just improvised a lot of it and, and I think it actually turned out really well good um August so you have a you're in a very interesting position here because you are the main character well aside from the dog of course but you're <laughs> the main human character in this film and it's a very challenging film so what kind of what unique challenges uh cropped up with uh, a role like this I had to do a um, an accent. I had I had to learn like uh, how to speak in like like a like a German accent kind of. And um, we had someone on the set who would teach me. And also I had to go in a uh, a really cold lake. And it was for the very <laughs> end of the movie. And it was in the middle oh, yeah. of November. And um, we had a wetsuit and everything, but it was really cold. <laughs> so that was, that was another thing. Also, um, I've never worked with a dog before on, a, on, on anything. So it was really cool to work with a dog. And, um, and I actually didn't have a dog before the movie. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so my mom was a little concerned. And she was, like, looking up dogs to get online, you know, so I could, like, practice with a dog, you know? And my cousins literally show up at the door with a, with a purebred German shepherd oh at the God. door. Yeah. And uh, they're like, oh, yeah, we can't, we can't, we can't keep her. So you guys are the first people we were, we were thinking. And, um, yeah, do you guys want the dog? And, and my mom was like, yes, we want the dog. <laughs> Wow, talk about a coincidence. That's just, like, yeah. perfect. Yeah. So uh, you have this dog now, and it's ironically a German Shepherd. Mm -hmm. um, her name is Sailor. Her name oh, is Sailor. Sailor. She's right here. Hey, Sailor. Oh, <laughs> She's sleeping. Yeah, I have a dog, too, so I'm just, like, that was one of the reasons I was, like, I was kind of, like, interested in this movie. <laughs> I, I am myself, I'm a dog person. And actually, on the topic of that, uh, Lynn, I mentioned this in my review, but I, I tend not to like dog movies, despite the fact that I am a dog person and have a dog, mostly because they oftentimes, like, I'm, I'm very much into theming and, like, the messages of a film, and I'm like, dog movies tend not to have that. They just kind of prioritize, you know, it's like, hey, here's a cute and funny dog. But I think Shepard really does this, like, it subverts this issue very well. And, um... You know, how, like, how did you make this happen? It's like you managed to give this film, like, a really great message, and I appreciate that a lot. Well, it was based on a book uh, mm -hmm. called A Jewish Dog, and when I heard, even before the book was written, when I heard about the idea of this story, I thought it was absolutely fantastic because I, like you, I love dogs, and I felt that this subject matter told through the prism of a dog would be very, very affecting, very emotional. It was a 
a way to tell the story in a way that it's never been told before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree that this film was very emotional. That might just be because I have a bad, I'm very bad at handling animals in movies. Um, <laughs> so like that, I was like a mess. Like, thankfully, no, no one was there to see me crying, but it was really bad. I'm just going to say that. Um, <laughs> you were listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today, we've listened to E. Sean as he speaks to Jennifer Lane on Queer Eye. Ethan, as he reviews Cowboys, a documentary portrait. Heather, as she speaks on Come Away. And Callista, as she spoke on Alexa and Stephen Kingopolis from Fishbowl. Right now, we're continuing listening to Callista on Lynn Roth from The Shepherd, The Story of a Jewish Dog. And on the topic of, like, how this film affects people emotionally, August, this is, um, again, you know, this is a very emotional movie. It's... Um, it's a very challenging movie, as we've already discussed. How did this film affect you emotionally? I, it affected me because I didn't have, I didn't know anything about the Holocaust. So um, I had to study, you know, so I read tons of books. I watched tons of movies. And this movie, uh, this movie showed me like that there are, crazy things that have happened in this world already that going through this pandemic seems easy. Like they were going through really hard times and I, like I wasn't even taught that in school. So knowing that uh, like millions of people were killed in the Holocaust, uh, no one's informed about it so they can prevent, prevent it in the future is just crazy to me. Yeah, that. I, I agree with you there, and, you know, because, like, I guess maybe it's, like, uh, certain schools are different, because I know my school very much went into it, both middle school and uh, high school went into it, so it's, like, also because, you know, some people just, like, some schools just don't teach that, and I personally mm -hmm. find that kind of insane, because it's, like, I feel like this is something that should kind of be, like, common knowledge, but I don't know, <laughs> and, um, you know, since, uh, Lynn, since you're the director, of course, there's a lot that has to be done in terms of the acting in this film. And I mentioned this in my review, but I think the acting, especially with August, was really good. And so can you maybe walk us through, like, how you came um, across him and, like, how you decided that he would be perfect for the role? Well, we had we were interviewing boys around his age, and then somebody told me about him, and I saw him on tape. They sent me a tape of the scene that he had done, and it really blew me away, so I wanted to meet him. And I had him come to my home because I have dogs, and I wanted to see how he reacted to dogs, how he felt around dogs. This is before he got sailor, but he did pretty well. I think he was a little bit scared, but he did well. <laughs> But there was an intelligence and a sensitivity in Augie that I could see, and I knew that this role demanded it. It had to be for, um, it had to be a person who could go deeper and, and be able to do these, the things that were required of him in this movie, and he came through. As far as the other actors, we shot the film in Hungary, so most of the actors are from Hungary or Romania, and they are speaking English, which was not so easy for them. And as Augie said, mm -hmm. they were all doing a European dialect, a European accent, 
to make it seem more authentic. August, speaking of, you know, your acting experience, um, I find it very interesting that you've gone from a Disney Channel show to a horror movie to a war movie in a very short period of time. Um, what's that like? And, like, do you have, like, a favorite genre or, like, one that you want to work on next? Honestly, I love all the genre, all the genres. I, I I love them all, starting from comedy. Like, and I've and I've done that for like so long. I was I was longing for another genre, you know. And I was so excited to work on a horror and a war movie because you know I was able to explore different genres and um, and people don't take Disney Disney actors seriously, and I don't know why. And uh, some of the best Disney, uh, some of the best actors come from Disney. So uh, going from comedy to uh, to horror to war, it was really exciting, and um, I was able to um, challenge myself as an actor. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I I understand what you mean saying people don't take Disney Channel actors that seriously. I guess because it's like, oh well, it's aimed at children and like. It's all, like, funny and goofy. But, like, no, there are some genuinely really good actors that come from Disney. And I think you make a really good point there. And uh, since we're on the topic of, you know, previous work, uh, Lynn, I was interested when I looked through your IMDb and I saw that you've been working in the entertainment industry since the 70s. And when I was reading off, (laughs) when when I read off some of the stuff that you were, like, that you were doing, my parents got really excited. So it's like, um... (laughs) <laughs> what are some notable differences between, like, the entertainment industry of, like, back then and now? Well, of course, the most notable difference is that there's so many more women involved today. In those mm-hmm. days, there were very, very few women. We all knew each other. We knew the, the women comedy writers, the women directors, the women producers, because it was a tiny, tiny little list. Now, there are so many more women that are part of everything. So that's the biggest mm-hmm. notable difference. Um, but it was great in those days too. There were, you know, we, there was a golden age of comedy during that time. And, um, there were movies for television during that time, which we don't have so much now. Um, but I think today there's, um, maybe more exploration of different subject matter. I think we've expanded and it has to do with all the channels uh, that, that we have too, all the cable stations, all the streaming all the ways that we see movies and television today. It's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And, uh, well, thank you guys so much for this incredible interview. Thank, thank you, you for having us. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And that's it for now. This is Callista Best reporting for Kids First. And my guests today were Lynn Roth and August Maturo. And I will be seeing you all later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us. You have been listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. To watch our latest reviews of the latest films, DVDs, TV shows, music, and apps, and to learn how you can join our Kids First Film Critics team, go to www.kidsfirst.org. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and look for our reviews on Press for Kids, kidsforworld.com, and Kidsville News. This show is produced by the Coalition for Quality Children's Media. For Voice America and iHeartRadio, today's show is sponsored by Mic Drop. I'm Natalie Jackson from Kids First, reporting for Kids First. Goodbye.
Thank you again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, you know more which movies, TV shows, or digital media to look for, or learned about the talent that worked on or off camera on them, and can make informed decisions about what to watch. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode, and tune in again next week.